of the Apostles, the second chapter, beginning at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both the Lord and the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and to the other apostles. Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
And now a reading from the first letter of St. Peter, the first chapter, beginning at verse 17. If you invoke as Father, the one who judges impartially according to each person's work, live in fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal conduct inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised from him from the dead and gave him glory so that your trust and hope are in God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of God.
gospel lesson from Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Listen with me for the word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? While he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. How do we learn? How do we learn anything? Thermodynamics, tax law, how to bake bread. How do we learn? There's, an, there's a particular approach to learning that has been indoctrinated into us, and it's very much a part of Western culture. It's what the educator and thought leader Paolo Freire called the banking approach to education. It's to suppose that people in their minds are like banks and we invest in them with a deposit 
over and over again with the hope that over time it will grow and be worth something someday. But that's the way that so many of us have learned almost anything, especially in a traditional classroom setting. According to Freire, this approach is potentially problematic because it has a way of deifying the sage up on the stage as a a revelatory figure dispensing knowledge. And in that way, the listener slash learner takes a very passive approach to learning instead of being active in the learning process. According to Freire, this is limited in its ability, but it's potentially oppressive as well. So I'm wondering, how do we learn? What's the best way that we can learn? In the world of science, we know that there is value to having a laboratory element to learning. And there's even a thing called clinical learning, where a person could go and do and then come back, discuss it and process it, learn from it, and then go back and do again. That happens in the medical world, but That's also how teachers learn to teach. Have you ever seen a video that taught you something? That's actually the preferred way of learning for a lot of young people. They're happy to learn. They would just rather get it in a two-minute video that they could watch on their phone. Have you ever heard of something called Khan Academy? Khan Academy is a web resource of highly well-made instructional videos in mathematics. There are incredibly talented people who will explain one step to the next, whether it's algebra, geometry, even calculus, and then they use video effects to kind of manipulate images or show how numbers are related, and helping students gain an intuition for math. In fact, these videos are so good, there are math teachers across the country who just tell their students, just watch the video, because they do such a good job. In fact, this has even led to some teachers experimenting with reverse classrooms, where students are given the resources to go out and learn by themselves, literally by themselves, whether it's reading a book or watching a video. And then they come back to the classroom, and in the classroom they discuss what they learned in peer groups, and then the teacher is a facilitator of knowledge. It's a different approach. What's the best way to learn? Specifically, how do we learn to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm all for a good lecture. I would imagine, though, even the very best lecture is limited in its efficacy. I'm all for a good video, well put together. But again, that can only go so far. I think that today's gospel lesson in Luke chapter 24 is illustrative for us as we imagine how we learn as disciples. It's the story of two travelers on their way to Emmaus. And it's happening on Easter afternoon into the early evening. And these two travelers 
are walking, and they just can't help talking about all of the amazing things that had happened in just the past several days. They were astounded. We don't know exactly what they knew, but they've heard stories, bits and pieces, some from eyewitnesses, some secondhand, and they're trying to piece it all together, trying to make sense of it. Meanwhile, they come from the tradition of ancient Israel. And so they're trying to piece together the recent stories that they've heard, what we call Holy Week, along with the ancient stories that they once learned a long time ago. And as they're making their way, here comes a third person. And this third person says, hey guys, what you talking about? What are we talking about? What aren't we talking about? Are you the only stranger who doesn't know what has happened in the past several days? There's actually a comedic element in the way that this is written. Are you the only stranger? Now, what you and I know is there's nothing strange about this person at all. In fact, he's not, he's not strange. He's not a stranger. He actually knows them better than they even know themselves but they can't recognize who he is. Well, they get to talking, and they say, well, we're, all the things that happened with Jesus. And then Jesus does something amazing. Without necessarily saying, hey, everybody, it's me, he has a way of piecing together all of the stories that they had been hearing from the past several days connected with the Scripture. Now, remember, for them, the Scripture is what we call the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. It's the ancient story of God's faithfulness, even with people's unfaithfulness, beginning with Moses. Now, when you hear about the reference to Moses, that needs to be for you a remembrance of the story of the Exodus, when God's people were oppressed in slavery in Egypt, and Moses, by God's mighty power, led them out of slavery to be free. Jesus had a way of connecting that story from long ago with what recently happened. And while all of this was happening, the two travelers, something was happening in their hearts. As they were reflecting on it later, they said, wow, it feels like something's burning inside of me. Now, there's more to the story, but I want us to really think deeply about this. What does this story say to us about learning to be a disciple. I think there are three things. First, we're good to ask questions. We must ask questions. Jesus was asking them questions. They asked him questions in return. And in the process, ideas are shared. People have wondered, was Jesus trained in the Socratic method? Now, remember, of course, Socrates from ancient Greece. He was known for replying to his students' questions, not with an answer, but with more questions. The Socratic method is all about wonder. For example, twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's about wonder leading to questions which lead to refining ideas, and it's a cyclical process. That leads you to more wonder, more curiosity, 
an eagerness to learn even more. Was Jesus trained in the Socratic method? I think it's fair to say he had divine inspiration. And so he was able to take their questions and work with it. And we're good to offer our questions. As a pastor, I've I've been blessed to spend time with people who are vulnerable enough to share their questions, deep questions about life, its meaning, how to make sense of things in the world. Questions like, how can this person who's already been through through so much suffer even more? Or what about this person who beat cancer five years ago? How is it that she can be diagnosed with cancer again? How is it that racism continues to undermine and tear apart culture and lead people to commit violent crimes against others? How? The list goes on. We have so many questions that address human suffering and pain that recognize injustice and inequality, and it spurs us on to wonder. What do we do with all of those questions? We're good to offer them to Jesus. Here's the second thing we could learn about learning. It happens on the road. On the road. There's a lot to learn in a classroom. There's a lot to learn sitting with one person over a cup of coffee. But there's something to be said about being on the road. Jack Kerouac doesn't have anything on these two travelers and Jesus. Notice something, though. They're walking, not for leisure, but for transportation. Now, if we lived in a city, like a bona fide city, where our church was two blocks over here, our supermarket was a block around the corner, the place where we would always go for a bite to eat was two blocks the other way, then we would know a little bit more about walking for transportation. But we know about walking for leisure and exercise. We, we tend to drive everywhere we need to go, don't we? And because we're driving, and hopefully we're safe drivers, we're following the road in front of us and we're keeping an eye on other vehicles. So if we're a safe driver, we may not notice all of the other things around us. We whiz by on the interstate and we go just as fast through life, don't we? Recently, I was driving... My son was in the passenger seat, and as we're driving along on the interstate, I see a highway patrol officer, and I point out to my son, see that? See that guy? And we keep on going, and I look in the rearview mirror, and sure enough, the car starts to accelerate, gets in the right-hand lane behind us. I think, okay. I start thinking, okay, The tag is up to date. I know none none of the taillights are out. The highway patrol officer comes right up behind us. And I get that feeling in the pit of my stomach. I move over to the next lane, thinking that obviously this highway patrol officer is chasing after somebody. 
but instead he gets behind me and gets really close. The little blue lights turn on, and that horrible feeling in my stomach gets tighter. I said, oh, no. I pull over to the right-hand lane, and I start thinking, man, what? What, what, what did I do wrong? And I have my hand on the steering wheel, roll down the window. The officer comes up and says, do you know why you were pulled over? I said, officer, I, no, I'm sorry. 70 mile per hour, and you're driving at 60. <laughs> and then he said, now, why did you pull over to the other lane? I said, I was making room for you. He said, if you're going to drive slower than the speed limit, stay in the right-hand lane. Otherwise, have a nice day and drive faster. <laughs> this is actually the second time I've been pulled over for driving too slow. <laughs> I'm wondering, though, when we go through life, are we going at a pace that causes us to not recognize what's around us? There's something good about going for a walk, isn't there? You can go for a walk in your neighborhood on the Bill Standback Greenway, Bell Tower Green Park, around downtown. Lots of opportunities to notice what's around in life because we learn on the road. There's something about being active, moving forward, not just being a passive listener in a seat, but moving forward in life as we observe what's around us. The third thing we can learn about learning as a disciple, it's about Jesus. Not to overcomplicate it, not to get too overly sophisticated in our understanding. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the hermeneutic through which we understand life and the Bible. That word hermeneutic, it's kind of a sophisticated seminary word. It basically means a method by which you interpret a text. There, over the past 150 years in biblical scholarship, have been many different hermeneutics, ways of approaching the scripture. But from the Bible itself, we realize that Jesus himself is the way by which we understand the scripture, the way by which we understand life. We need to spend time with him. That's what those two travelers did on the road to Emmaus, and it made all the difference in the world. At first, they didn't recognize who he was, but then something remarkable happened. As they were going, Jesus was a little bit far ahead. They said, hey, come back. Stay with us a little while. Mom made a booyah base. So they sit down, and they are going to enjoy their time together. But then Jesus does something remarkable. He takes the bread... He blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them. I think that this meal, this gesture, is incredibly powerful on at least two levels. The first one is very basic. They were famished. They had walked several miles. Understandably, they had burned calories, they're ready to eat. And there's something nourishing about being with others when you're hungry and you're enjoying food. But there's something else, though. When Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, in that moment, they were able to recognize this is what he did with the disciples on that Thursday just a few nights ago. 
when he talked about his body and his blood and his suffering. Jesus had been talking about the suffering of humanity, the stories of Scripture, and it was all coming together for them. And just as quickly as they were recognizing it, Jesus vanished. He was on his way. Jesus is the one through which life makes sense. He is the person that holds it all together. He is the lens by which life has its focus. So for you and me, the good news of the gospel is that we are invited to be on the road with our questions with Jesus. And on the road, Jesus meets us He is there with us, even with our most difficult, painful questions. But he's there to help us make sense of life, to help put it all together. And as we go on the road, like the two on the way, we get to invite others to join with us, to proclaim the good news of Easter, that he is risen. Amen.